Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our reading today is from the Apostle Paul's Letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, in the New Testament section of our Red Bibles, on page 154. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. O oh God, tell us what we need to hear, and show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may have you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith. Ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord is with you. Some of you know the name Alfred Nobel. Let me tell you a story about him. He was born in 1883, and he died in 1896 at the age of 63 years old. He is best known for, as we all know, the Nobel Peace Prize. But something that some of us may not know is that Alfred Nobel was also the one who invented dynamite. He was a chemist, he was an engineer, he was an innovator, but he was a weapons manufacturer. And in 1988, Alfred's brother Ludwig died. A French newspaper then erroneously published Alfred's obituary and it condemned him for his invention of, of dynamite. 
And this is what the obituary said. The merchant of death is dead. Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. Alfred Nobel was devastated by the foretaste of how he would be remembered. And so he decided to rewrite his last will and testament. And he set aside the bulk of his estate to establish the Nobel Prizes. He gave the equivalent of what today would amount to over 250 million US dollars to fund such prizes. Alfred Nobel, and this is the gift that was given to him. Alfred Nobel had the rare opportunity to evaluate his life near its end and live long enough to change that assessment. And I'm wondering here this morning if there is anyone who would like to be given that opportunity to evaluate your life, the trajectory of your life, and to change it. You see, this awakening to a godly purpose for one's life is not unique to Dr. Nobel. I did a quick survey in my mind and I thought of people like Abraham and I thought of people like Moses and Jacob and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Peter and Paul and the woman at the well. I thought of people like St. Augustine. I thought of John Colson, Chuck Colson rather. I ch thought about John, uh, John Wesley, Chuck Colson, and lately, if you've been in tune with the news, you could also put on that list Kanye West. These people are all living examples of people who have suddenly awakened to God's grander purpose for their lives. And when that happens, they all say, Lord, I am yours. And I think today's reading we see then how we can give ourselves away to God, how we can reorient our lives from self to God and others. Let's just do a, a quick background on this passage because the first 11 chapters in Romans, Paul is unfolding the mercies of God. And you see, for Paul, the gospel is precisely about God's mercy to inexcusable, and undeserving sinners, in giving his son to die for them, in justifying them by faith, in sending them his life-giving spirit, and making them his children. And I want you to do a little homework for me. Where's my little principles sign? <laughs> principles giving homework. I want you today, when you go home, to read chapters 9 through 11 of Romans. And I think you'll agree with me that one of the key words that keep popping up, keeps popping up in chapters 9 through 11, is the word mercy, mercy. And if you have your Bibles open and you look at chapter 9, verse 16, Paul says, for salvation depends, there is on the screen too, it depends not on human desire or human effort, but salvation depends on God's mercy. And then you look at chapter 9, verse 23, and Paul says that God's purpose is to make the riches of God's glory known to the objects of his mercy. 
And you go to Romans 11 and verse 30, and Paul says, as the disobedient Gentiles have now received mercy, so too disobedient Israel will now receive mercy. And then he says in verse 32 of chapter 11, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may be merciful to all. And then you turn the page over to chapter 12 and that word comes popping up at you again. Chapter 12 and verse 1. In view of God's mercies, Paul then issues these two very powerful ethical appeals. And I think he's writing from his own experience. Paul knows that there is no, no greater incentive to live a holy life than a contemplation of the mercies of God. And I want you to just look at the very first appeal that he gives to us. And he says, look, I want you to give yourself away to God. The scriptures are really saying, Lord, I give myself to you. No preconditions. Can I use some Latin words this morning? No prid quo, no prid quo, pro quo. I'm even getting tongue-tied. In view of your mercies, Lord, from now on I give myself to you. What does, what does the giving of oneself to God look like? And Paul gives us the reason. The scriptures gives us the, the, the insight. It means to give your body as a living sacrifice. And in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with some of the writings of the Old Testament, you will know that when a sacrifice is given to the priest, the animal comes without blemish. The giving was total. The animal was sacrificed under the old covenant for the sins of the people. Here, Paul is not talking about that old covenant form of sacrifice where the person is given as a sacrifice for sin. Christians are called to be a living sacrifice. In view of God's kindness and mercy, we give ourselves away to God as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is, Paul says, our spiritual act of worship, our reasonable act, our logical act, our proper response to God in view of God's mercy. It just makes sense that the response is, I give myself away to you. Some people think that this may have been Paul's way of sticking it to some of the Greeks who would have been reading his letter because these folks were brought up on the Platonic thought where they regarded the body as an embarrassing encumbrance. And their slogan was, the body is a tomb. The body is a tomb in which the human spirit was imprisoned and from which they longed to be free. But this is not so. For Paul, worship and the giving of the self that is pleasing to God expresses itself in concrete acts of service performed by our physical bodies. We give our bodies, but we also give our minds to God. Lord, I am yours. I give my body and my mind. And you say, why? It's simple. It is difficult to give your body if your mind is given elsewhere. We live in a world, brothers and sisters, I don't have to remind you, we live in a world that is saturated with values and practices and truth claims that dishonor Almighty God. We live in a sinful world. And I think this is what verse 2 is teaching, that the world demands our all. And the scriptures say, no, don't go there. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your mind, your mind, our minds are transformed 
when they are saturated with Holy Scripture. And then we begin to think God's thoughts. And then we'll be able, Paul says, to be able to prove or to discern what is God's perfect will for you. This is what it means to give ourselves, our body, our soul, our mind to God. But I love to say that's easier said than done. Because you see, there are these barriers that stand in our way to the giving of ourselves to God. The world in which we live prizes autonomy, it prizes freedom, it prizes the, the right to pursue whatever promotes personal happiness. And so what you have is this massive collision that is taking place between the values of the world and these, these kingdom values that you find in verses 1, 2, and 3, this collision that is happening between the call of God to give ourselves away to God and the call of the world to give our all to the values of the world, and there is this massive collision, and the question becomes for us then, which self do I give? And some of us, and I am just as guilty, we have this ability to give our curated self. I call it our Sunday selves. And we give that version of ourselves to God. And we say, peace of Christ be with you. And we smell right, and we look right, and we don't miss a note. But when we walk out of here, a totally different self shows up. Do I give my curated self? Do I give my idealized self? Or do I give the real self to God? And the scriptures give us an answer. Look at verse 3. It says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And I think the focus of that phrase, the word there, is the word think. Think. It makes this unmistakable emphasis that in thinking about ourselves, we must avoid thinking too high an estimate of ourselves. But I also think the flip side is true. That in thinking about ourselves, we don't think too low of ourselves. Instead, we're to think positively. We are to develop this sober, honest judgment of ourselves before God. And so I say to you this morning that one of the greatest barriers to that first appeal is on one side, it's pride, and on the flip side, it's shame. And pride says what? Pride says, I'm okay. I'm smart, I'm educated, I have resources, I have good health, I'm a nice person, I try to help people when I can. Everything I have, I accomplished by burning the midnight oil, I worked hard, and this is why I am where I am, and I really don't need God, Pastor, the way you speak of God. I'm fine, thank you very much. On the other hand, there are some who live in what I call the pits of shame. And these are individuals who say, I am no good. I've made too many mistakes. I'm poor. I have these horrible addictions in my life. I didn't finish school. I failed some of my exams. I cheated on my marriage. I dishonored my parents. I stole the company's money. I have a felony record. I don't belong. Those are the extremes and they're lies. And as long as you live where you think you're so good that you don't need God, or you think you're so horrible that God doesn't care for you, you'll never be able to respond to that ethical appeal to give yourself away to God. But there are other barriers that hinder us, and it's fear. 
fear. I don't want to become a religious fanatic. I don't want to become a holy roller. So don't ask me to give myself away to God. I'm too busy. I'm afraid of appearing needy and wanting and asking for help. So, so I will come with this aura of completeness when in fact we're dying inside and we need God. But no, we don't want to appear as needy Presbyterians. And I think the only way forward for us is to keep asking the question, why would I want to give myself away to God? And the only answer is back in verse 1, because of the mercies of God, we are debtors to grace. And until we understand God's mercies toward us, we shrink. We're shrink-wrapped in our little selves. There's a second ethical appeal that I quickly want to share with you. We give ourselves away to God. We give ourselves away to God's community, to others in God's community. Look at verse 4, for as in one body, and he's talking about the human body, and this is sort of a, 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 a basic truth, that in the human body we have many organs, many members. Not all the organs in our bodies have the same function as we heard illustrated in children's sermon. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually, and this is so beautiful, we are members of one another. And when I read these words, I said to myself that these words are the greatest rationale for covenant membership in the world, in the church, that these words, they are a total rejection of our modern church-hopping, church-shopping, church-consuming, casual church attendance that has afflicted the American church and is afflicting the churches of Evanston. And what I'd love for us to recapture in the giving of ourselves away to God's community is that joining a congregation then must be a conscious response to God's mercies. And when you join that congregation, you're saying, I no longer belong to myself. I belong to God. I give my body, I give my mind to God. And the place where we live out this new life in Jesus Christ is in the local assembly. That's where the action is. We who are many form one body of Christ individually. We're members of one another. We belong to each other. And so the question again is, what does it mean to give ourselves away to others in the church? Well, let's begin with the notion. Look at verse 6. We have gifts. And you could take those gifts and keep them for yourself, but you're going to be so impoverished. We have gifts that differ according to the grace, grace given to us, prophecy, ministry or serving, teaching, exhorting or encouraging, giving generously, leading with diligence, being compassionate and doing it with a smile. Two appeals. Two appeals, guys. Number one, give yourself to God. And I say that that is the vertical, the vertical appeal. But don't you think something is missing? Don't you think there is something impoverished about that picture? Of course, it's, it's important to have a relationship 
with God. But if you were here last Sunday, in the reading and in the preaching of God's word, last Sunday we heard these words from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. For if we do not love a fellow believer whom we can see and have seen, we cannot love God whom we have not seen. I say to you this morning that if your relationship is only with God, something is missing. The one-dimensional relationship of the self to God, it's unhealthy, it's unbalanced, it's unbiblical. Equally so, to give oneself to others and never to God would be no better than joining a local fitness club. It would be no better than being part of a social club to be part of a place where my needs are met because I'm just here to get my cup filled. And you hear people walking out saying, I didn't get anything out of that service because in their minds, it was all about them. This also is unbalanced, my friends. It's human effort without God. But this is the balanced Christian life that Paul is calling us to, where the vertical and the horizontal meet. We give ourselves to God, yes, wonderful. But then, as a result of giving ourselves to God, we give ourselves to each other in community. And again, last Sunday we heard these words, and God has given us this command that those who love God must also love one another. Amen? Amen. God has given us a different vision. In the church, then, we're not consumers of religious goods and services. In the church, we are givers. In the church, we are lovers. As we have received love, we give love. As we have received mercy, as we have received blessings, we bring ourselves, we bring our gifts, and we bless each other. And what we offer to each other are those gifts that Paul mentioned, all the various gifts that he has given to us. All these gifts are designed so that we can serve one another. It is so easy, and I, I pray this never happens. Judith and I had lunch with a dear member of our church this Friday, and this person was remarking, and they said to us, you know, Pastor Ray, I see so many people in our church who are giving, but they're not doing it cheerfully. There is no joy. They're just doing it like, like they're under the, the, the thumb of a taskmaster. These gifts are given to us so we can serve the Lord with gladness. You have gifts, my brothers and sisters, not to build up yourself, but to serve one another, to use it for the glory of God. You know, one of my, one of my big pet peeves, and I've told you before, and I'm just going to say it again, one of my big, big pet peeves as your principal is how the church has become a spectator sport. You know, tonight, tonight, for those of you who watch the game of football, the Chicago Bears are already in Los Angeles. They're going to be playing the Los Angeles Rams tonight at the Los Angeles Memorial Stadium or Coliseum. And I looked at it. This Coliseum at one time was the biggest Coliseum in America. It could seat 93,000 people. They did a redesign and put in some luxury seats and all that, and now it seats 77,500 people. And I said to myself, man, that is more people. There'll be more people sitting in that stadium tonight than live in the little village of Skokie, Illinois. When you watch the game tonight, 
you will see only 24 players on the field. The people in the seats bought a ticket, and they're there to be entertained. And friends, I'm afraid that the church has become a spectator sport. And I think I know why. We haven't given ourselves to God. We have no understanding of the mercy of God toward us. And we think too much of ourselves, some of us. And for others of us, we think too little of ourselves. And in the end, yes, many of us come to church. But we don't see ourselves as organically connected as members of this congregation. And the result is that the church has become a consumer or a spectator event. I hate to end on a dour note, but I'm going to end it this way. Even before I moved to Chicago, I was very familiar with Western Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh in particular. Ten years ago, I could walk down certain streets in Pittsburgh and there were churches there that were once vibrant churches that have died and they have been turned into bars and into pubs. There was an article written in the New York Times and they showed the picture of this Presbyterian church the First Presbyterian Church of Braddock. Do you know what has happened to this church? It's become a restaurant, a brewery. If you look carefully along the sides, you can see the, the big canisters and what would have been the chancel, these huge canisters that make beer. And all along are these seats where people can come in and drink and eat. This was once a going enterprise. Do you know why this happens? Because in many of the churches of our land, we haven't made that shift. And we haven't said, Lord, I am yours. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself in service to you. Take my life. Take my all. Take my mind. Take my body, take my money, take my gifts, take my will. Lord, use me. Lord, use me. And as long as a church remains a spectator event and the people and the leaders and the pastors and the choir and the, and the whole church doesn't get to that altar and say, Lord, I am yours, use me, use me. You've given me something to bless this body. That church is going to shrivel and it's going to die. And I don't care how much money you have in endowments. You're going to have to give it away to the presbytery and the church will become something other than what it was dedicated for. I don't have to tell you where my heart is. I don't have to tell you what burns in my heart for First Press is that you would be able to do that. You'd be able to give yourself away to God and to this community because of God's mercies. And you know when we do that, we're going to then create another problem 
that if every one of us here this morning would give our mind and give our bodies and give our all and say, Lord, you gave it to me, it's yours. I dedicate myself to you, O oh God. We will create another problem, but it's gonna be a good problem where you will have an abundance of people stepping up and stepping out to serve, and there will be so many people wanting to make a difference. And you don't have to have Dr. Nobel's money to make a difference. There will be so many people stepping up wanting to make a difference that we will have to create a waiting list. Lord, let it be so. Let it be so. I give myself away to you. I did that at the age of 18, and I continue to do it. Even last night, even this morning, I said, God, I'm yours for however long you have me here on this earth. I'm yours. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say,